What's up, everybody? It's Frank from Haybreed, and you're listening to today's Boondoggle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this intro before the intro of our today's Boondoggle radio show. Uh, as you know, we're a veteran-owned and operated podcast, and this has been an incredibly therapeutic journey for me as a veteran that struggles with PTSD and anxiety, just getting out and talking to people. But uh, it does cost us some money, so if you feel so obliged to donate to our GoFundMe, we have a GoFundMe under Today's Boondoggle. We also have a Venmo at Today's Boondoggle that you can donate to, uh, our Anchor sponsorship at anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle uh, any questions comments suggestions complaints you can email us at today's boondoggle at gmail.com and please follow us on our social media sites at, uh, at today's boondoggle on instagram facebook twitter all your uh, social media platforms as well as our youtube channel our rumble channel and our bitshoot channel please follow subscribe comment and download and please consider checking out our sponsors if you uh, support our sponsor dream nutrition you can receive 10 percent off your order by using the promo code boondog10 at checkout so dream nutrition they're a veteran owned and operated company as well so please support them and receive 10 percent off using the promo code boondog10 thanks for your time and thanks for listening What's going on, everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's boondoggle. And uh, real quick housekeeping, if you're watching us on YouTube or Rumble, please hit that subscribe button and notification button. Uh, really helps us out. And then, it, you know, brings brings us up in your, uh, you know, the AI, as we'll get into, uh, lets you know to uh, check out the latest episodes. So like this one I got going on right now with uh, an old friend, special guest, the storytelling wizard himself. Mr. John Toll. How you doing, John? Good, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, man. Glad we got the technical stuff figured out. You have to let me know, though, when the, uh, you know, keep checking the battery. Let me know if we're uh, we're on a timer or anything. 
Oh, no, no. But, I think I'm pretty sure we, we got enough juice here to be able to pull this off. And I apologize for all of our technical difficulties we had. Considering I make dumb content all day, it sucks that I, <laughs> we have to do something as simple as this and I can't get it to work. Yeah, I, I, I feel bad that like StreamYard wasn't like working for you. But because uh, oh, well. they're no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they could be. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but, but the but the uh, you know it's big tech and the buddy of mine that that referred me to this, Chris Aiken is very anti commie too. So you know I don't think he'd okay. lead me astray. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but uh, hey, before we get into all that stuff, uh, I'd like to go back and and do like a little timeline story. And you got quite a history here in Cleveland. So uh, but <laughs> as a kid, originally, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh God, uh, I wanted to. You know what? I only had one, like one, one visible dream would be, remember like every year Bill Murray would walk on the 18th hole at Pebble Beach at the Pro-Am and then whether or not he was playing well or not, they were like, that's Bill Murray and he's playing golf on a weekday and he doesn't really have to do anything. That's kind of what I wanted to do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I had no other I had no other other dream other than that. When I got into stand up, the only dream I had was because I was such a Greg Giraldo mark. I was like, well, he made his first album at Comedy Works. I would like to do that. I didn't really have any like career aspirations or anything. It was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, I'm an artist. I make music. Now I've I've morphed my music into stand up. It's all the same thing. And so now I'm just I just make albums. But I, I yeah, yeah I, I didn't really have any long I, and probably to the detriment of of what my future is going to look like, probably dying of diabetes in the woods without a foot with no health insurance. I probably should have planned ahead better. <laughs> well, like, uh, you know, going back to like when when we met and when I knew you, uh, you know, you were involved in a lot of local uh, bands here in Cleveland. But uh, like, when was it that you uh, first like started uh, feeling like the call to to play music i mean I, growing up just i got my first kiss record in 76 at the age of five so you know i got rock and roll over and that was it that was the end for for whatever reason my parents let me have rock records way too young and so i started you know i'm, I'm five I'm i'm listening to kiss by the time I get into middle school, it's Motorhead, Maiden, you know, but I'm a jock. I'm playing baseball, you know, 24-7. I've never picked up a guitar. I didn't really get a guitar even until my freshman year of college. And I didn't play in a band, you know, probably until 94. And then when I joined OLC, that was only the the second, third band I had ever been in. So I just well, self-taught. And I don't, I don't know what it was that just drove me. You know, probably just being a ham and just wanting to get on stage and, you know, be an idiot. Typical, <laughs> you know, dude in their dude in his 20s, unchecked ego nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about when you first started uh, playing in uh, in bands. Like, uh, what, what band, what was your first band before OLC came along? Uh, I was in a thrash brand. I was in a thrash band called uh, Suppressed Aggression. <laughs> How about that for a name? Um, <laughs> you know, we made a we made a demo, 
And then some of the members like flamed out. They just couldn't, you know how musicians are. They just couldn't keep it together. And then uh, me and the singer ended up starting uh, Lockjaw 44. And then from Lockjaw okay. 44 uh, is how I, you know, was started playing hardcore shows, um, you know, or playing live at all, really anywhere. And then from that, you know, got the opportunity to, to be in, in OLC. Yeah, I forgot. That's right uh, about uh, Lockjaw because that was like that's how you got the nickname John Lockjaw then. Right. That, right? Okay. And then so you played uh, with them, and where were they? Uh, was this all in the Cleveland area? My first bands, no, they were all from the uh, Bay Area in in NorCal. So it's like, I mean, I I guess that, that's another reason why I was you know why I got into music is because I was blessed to you know not only be just a thrash nerd but then to also grow up in the bay area which was the epitome of where thrash nerds lived you know it's all we did it's like i grew up in a town uh you know when i was i was in high school i delivered a pizza to the singer of exodus's house like i was i would see chuck billy at the mall at the batting cage and then so it's like and then you know just growing up seeing everybody at shows and then by the time you start doing music and getting bands, you already know everybody in the, in the whole scene anyways. Nice. So like uh, what ended up then bringing you from the Bay area to Cleveland, Ohio? The one life crew uh, needed a bass player. And, and I, and I, and after hearing crime ridden, I was like, Oh, well this is, you know, I, I always say that blaze is a riff genius. Oh, yeah. Um, and and so it's like you know that was that was one of those albums when it came out it was just like oh my gosh this is this is exactly when I envision hardcore and what hardcore sounds like and capturing energy and just the sheer economy of the riffs and just the way Blaze wrote and his song structures and everything I was hooked and so when I got the opportunity to come play I was like oh immediately yeah of course I would love to do this. Um, you know, I probably should have, you know, kicked the tires of the band a little better before I decided to join on, you know, as far as everybody, how they got along, which they didn't. Um, yeah. I found out that after I had already moved to Cleveland and you moved your own life over. But yeah, but that's fine. <laughs> you know, it, it gave me the opportunity to start Pit Boss and, yeah, and yeah. move on to the next and move on to the to the next opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit about your time though with uh with One Life Crew. Um yeah. Do I apologize cause... now or later? <laughs> no, man, it's all good on my end, you know. This is still a, a free broadcast, you know, where people can have differing opinions and not get like shut down. So Yeah. Um but I mean so you came out, and like you said, the, I mean, the music, I mean, it was just like uh, Blaze's uh, writing and everything. We just like, who wouldn't want to be a part of that, you know? But, well, yeah, uh, you're also, you know, it's also, you're in the legacy of, of Confront, you know? Yeah. You're in the legacy of Cleveland Straight Edge that has a super long lineage, you know? I'm like, you're seeing for as, for as awesome as Bay Area was for Thrash growing up. I mean, you know, Cleveland hardcore, you know, all going all the way back to Outface and, you know, every project that Urba ever touched. I mean, it's, you know, Cleveland's hardcore legacy is, is 
you know, unmatched, you know, it, it, it's on par with DC, New York, Boston, it, you know, it, it's an equal in my mind is anyways. No, I agree. I don't think it gets enough uh, uh, credit that it deserves a lot of times, you know, it's uh, definitely, you know, uh, drowned out by like the bigger cities and stuff, but our hardcore scene for sure, the history. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, you, you know, as a, as a kid and, and I, you know, like being a kid and, and going to like the stone in San Francisco, the Omni in Oakland, it, you know, to go to Gilman or Ruthie's, it was like, you, there was a certain energy for underground punk shows or hardcore metal thrash that the first time, you know, I, I had already been, I, cause I went to college in Columbus. So I was going to Cleveland shows, you know, in what, 93, 94. So I already knew like what the energy was in Cleveland, like walking into Peabody's as someone not even ever have been in a band. And then to walk in, you know, to Peabody's, you know, as a member of OLC, like the energy in that room was just bonkers. And so it's a lot of people wonder, you know, what 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 it takes to make an amazing scene from the bands to the musicians to all that. It's really about the energy in the room and, you know, all those all those freaking venues, the grog shop, freaking fantasy. I don't know what what's around today, but the energy in that was just, you know, next level. And just to be a part of that, you know, in any capacity, you know, whether if it was, you know, being in Ringworm or doing One Life, it was like you know, Cleveland's energy is unmatched. Yeah, I agree, man. And it's like, we don't have, we Peabody's is no longer the fantasy is no longer, you know? Um, but, uh, man, I mean, those are some memories, but I mean, you know, the music with one life crew was, was on another level, but then you got to talk about then the, 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 uh, infamy, I guess that came with it, the, the lyrical content, the, the storytelling, um, you know, people, a lot of people didn't want it, weren't ready for some of that. And I, I, and today there'd be meltdowns, you know? Yeah. Well, look, there were, there were meltdowns before that band ever existed. There were meltdowns while the band existed and there are still meltdowns today. And so there will always be, um, people who push a creative envelope and then there will always be a reactionary response which is either you know you're either you know truthfully wounding someone to the pit of their soul or this is just the next thing for them to latch on and hate today because they need something to latch on and hate today because they're running out of things it's a you know unfortunately the 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 call out culture the cancel culture for the decades that it's been running, you know, is, is, is a cannibalistic thing. They will, they can only run out of so much stuff to be mad at, or eventually they'll just start being mad at each other and then circle the drain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I agree. And then, uh, so like with your time with, uh, one life crew, like what are some of your favorite memories when you were playing with them? I mean, to be honest, I, we're looking at we're talking late late 80s i here's it's funny i i rarely i rarely think about those days i can i can distinctly remember at maybe this club called the mosquito which was in detroit 
And it was before I knew the dudes in Cola's life. I didn't know anybody in Detroit for that matter. And we were going to play. And I remember kind of just like setting our gear up and I had my back turned to the audience and I just kind of peeked out at what was happening in the room. And every tough dude in Detroit is in a semicircle, like half circling the stage with their arms folded. And I was, I looked, remember looking at Blaze and I was like, man, this doesn't seem good. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and then we played and they were cool as shit. Everything was fine. And we left, but the, you know, the energy of the room of like, you know, I was so used to just growing up, going to shows and having fun. Now I'm in this band, we're playing Cleveland. Everything's great. Then you go out of town and you're like, oh, I don't know any of these dudes. And then you're like the energy in the room was like, yikes, this could go south real quick, but it didn't, you know? And then, cause they just probably wanted to know what we were, you know, truly all about, you know, is, is this just wrestling? Is this, you know, are you guys really into the music? You know, I'm sure they were feeling us out as much as anything. Yeah. And, uh, like, I mean, this was before social media where, you know, rumors and stories and, you know, there's more power to canceling and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, stories flew, you know, really quick back then about that, that band. And there was a lot, you know, a lot of shit talking coming from all sides. Um, so I could see why there'd be some like nervousness playing out of town and, and whatever, but like what, um, what do you think made the, 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 the band and the name so like polarizing? I just think that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not exactly if, if it was just, we need, we need a, you know, I'm, look, I'm, I'll get into philosophy here if you'd like. Uh, I would I would say that if anybody wants to get into learning what the scapegoat theory is to read uh, Rene Girard, he's a, a professor out of Stanford and he explains, um, you know, what the the nature of scapegoating and how it's been used throughout human history. And so and in this world that, you know, in you, you take the hardcore scene for that matter. Right. And what you do is you you build up one entity as a scapegoat and then you take down the scapegoat and then in the taking down of the scapegoat relieves all of the social ills of the whole scene. So if you have one band that has run afoul of the whole thing, then the whole scene can all join together and say, this is bad. Then it gets canceled. You get a win there and then it just resets and then they create a new a new enemy you know and that's just that's just the nature of of scapegoating in general yeah and there was a lot of that but there also seemed like a lot of i mean almost you know i mean parallels our time times today there's a lot of the the people that were like about the message and we're like god i'm glad people are finally saying you know what i'm what i feel you know speaking for our you know our our group or whatever you know oh yeah i mean i you know it's i never i don't know i i always just from you know i i can listen to i can listen to deicide and not run out and burn a cross in my forehead if that makes sense <laughs> yeah you know yeah I mean? exactly so yeah. and, but but then in, in, at the at the same at this in the same respect there are, are people in great bands with great lyrics and those lyrics are 
their 100% truth as a biography, as a world outlook. And as far as art goes, that's as equally valid as someone creating a persona and then, you know, tapping into the id of, you know, whatever the that, um, you know, if you if you want to call OLC's lyrics as uh, nationalist or isolationist, um, you know, non-interventionist style lyrics, you know, taken to the ultimate, ultimate level of absurdity. You know, as far as art goes, that's all the same. It's all the same gimmick. It all fits in the same frame. But for the folks who do it and this is their life and what they're saying is true, the other side doing it as a gimmick is is anathema. It's, it's not it doesn't make sense for them. So, yeah. You know. But, you know, so in, what, in, but you have to look at, you know, the what we're what people were experiencing in the 90s is no different than what we're experiencing now is that there is, without a doubt, an overlooked center of this country, a 70 to 80% of the blue collar, poor to working to middle class American who has absolutely no representation in society. And so, you know, in, in, that, in that respect, the, those lyrics then, you know, tapped into that. Nothing's changed, you know, just that, that, that if you thought the American worker didn't have any voice in the 90s, it's even less now. And so oh, what we're I... seeing is that the push, you know, the, the, the push for globalization, you know, as, as you push one way for globalization, the, the return swing the other way is populism, is nationalism, is love of country, you know, is, you know, very... Um, main street politics and so the, that's the reason we got trump in 2016 that's the reason we'll probably get another bite at the trump apple in 24 or desantis yeah, yeah or hillary I, I i i see a nightmare scenario where fucking hillary wins in 2024 oh we're done <laughs> do you know what the yeah. worst part I'll tell you, you know what the worst part of uh, Hillary uh, winning in 2024 it would be being murdered in a FEMA camp using a solar powered guillotine. <laughs> exactly. I. Uh, it would take 69 <laughs> chops at your neck to finally cut your head off with a solar powered guillotine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that has to be run on. You know, uh, well, no, they if they if they used a windmill, that would be, uh, you know, right. <laughs> but uh oh man yeah i want to get in I, I definitely want to get into like some current events with you and stuff but oh, and i and i and my and my add is is super bad so if i if i jump around and stuff i just apologize that's just my my brain for the reason i do stand up is just like whatever pops in my head goes and so sometimes i get off tangent so just you know reel me back in as needed <laughs> no problem so uh and that we, you mentioned pit boss, you know, after the, the, uh, you know, I guess the wheel fell off for you with, uh, with OLC. Right. Uh, and you started doing pit boss, uh, talk about like what that band was about for you and putting that together. I mean, it was, it was, it was like, it was the absurdity that, that I loved, of OLC, but then musically, um, I was, you know, I'm not as great of a player as Blaze was, 
but as far as song structure and and you know old school thrash and you know crossover and stuff that's what i grew up on and so pit boss kind of moved more more towards a crossover and you know just because i can't play guitar very well um but i always like the idea of like oh well this song is just gonna have one riff and we're gonna play it three different ways and then it's done and i don't have to think about it you know like the first time that danny and i got together and made pit boss we made seven songs in one day nice yeah and so now it's now and it's like uh, when when you're when you're really new at making music you don't have like a disruptive editing process where you're like oh this this sucks just whatever you're making is like oh this is the greatest thing ever now i've made over 30 records and so it's like now if I sit down and pick up my guitar, I want to hang myself with the cord because I hate my riffs. <laughs> now, um, that band had had some success here in Cleveland as well. And you were able to talk our our, our mutual friend, uh, Frank Novinick, from from <laughs> actually playing guitar <laughs> into being like a, a, one of the singers of the band. How were you able to do that? Uh, you know, just 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 actually. If I, if I, okay, the first time before I moved to Cleveland, I flew out to do a weekend. It was like a post Thanksgiving weekend in 96 with OLC. And I remember I got picked up at the airport by Steve and we went to, I think we went to Frank's apartment first. And so literally within 30 minutes of landing, I'm I'm in a conversation with Steve and James and Frank. And so like these are the first three people I meet in Cleveland. And so now it's like they I have the longest history with them. And so for Frank, it's like, you know, I'm I'm doing pit boss. I want the energy to be the NWO. It's the NWO wolf pack. It's on stage banter and shit talking. I love multiple singers, you know, yeah. whether if path or if it was um uh, what was that straight edge band out of erie um i forget the the christian band you know but any or scarhead for that matter you know anybody yeah. who had two front two front people i always i always thought that was better because from a crowd reaction standpoint if you have more than one microphone to sing along with in the music then that just creates more chaos and more energy up front and that's the key to making a show great because it's like the back of the room always feeds off that. Yeah, yeah. I love the NWO reference and stuff too. No, it gets well. That's that, you know, that's a it, it's that it's was important. hot around that time. <laughs> well, it, but it's important to like it, it's one thing. It's like you know, I, I can think about it now and and look back on it. But if you look at what the the entertainment that was happening, at least the entertainment that I was taking in at the time was that over the top WCW, w, it was WWF at the time, and those competing factions, ECW, you know, RVD, you know, it's like that energy was so dope. And the energy that they had in independent wrestling was the same energy that we had in music. And it's the same energy that we have now in standup. And so it's like, I guess I've always been after that level of like crowd pop, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then you mentioned uh, 
uh, you know, we were trying, I, I, it's draw, I'm drawing a blank too with the uh, Christian band in, uh, in uh, Erie, but I remember it wasn't Disciple, it was Disciple's other band. Yeah, I, I don't remember who that band was, but I remember that at one point you played in a Christian hardcore band as well, right? Through it all. Yeah, yeah, through it all is if, if you want to, that's I threw it all's up on uh what it's up it's up on i think you can find it on youtube and it's for sure on spotify and that is absolute that is war zone worship as far as as far as you know writing writing uh riffs that were definitely in the in the realm of uh war zone then that was uh for sure uh that what i was going for with that and then after that i got into point of recognition which was like a straight up metalcore band yeah, I and remember I, with through it all, you played a show for me at that No Excuses in North Olmsted at uh yeah. at one point. And uh I know I mean there's you know, you know how the scene is and how people are. People are like, oh what you know, what's he capitalizing on the Christian thing or whatever, you know. But uh, you know, what was uh you know kind of like behind you getting in, involved with that band? Uh, oh, as far as like what, like coming to faith or just getting as, as uh, coming into just meeting those musicians? Well, yeah, both. Well, I mean, I guess one one has to come. Actually, obviously, one has to come before the other. Uh, you know, you just you realize that, you know, to live a anchorless, rudderless existence isn't truly fulfilling, uh, nor is there, you know, any true truth and what's happening and so i guess at that time what 2000 you know my i watched my whole entire life you know relationship apartment job possessions gone so you go from all systems go everything's good to absolute zero and in that zero is just this vacuum where anything could occupy that space it could be drugs or alcohol you know it could be music it could be something positive exercise it could be something negative self-hatred and and just you know i always grew up catholic and so um you know i just had a crisis of faith and then had you know that answered you know so and then what what do you do then with that information of that ground floor acceptance of you know all things as they are and then still to be able to write good music and so now i'm just creating from a from a different place for a different reason still capturing the energy though yeah no i I, i'm glad you you shared that too because uh you know i mean back then when i when i booked the show i was raised catholic too and that you know was uh I was an altar boy the whole nine yards, but I was far from having a relationship with God and, and, and faith. And, um, I mean, it's been so long since we talked, but, um, you know, before I retired from the military, I had, uh, my last deployment in 2008 and I got two daughters now and everything. So it's like a lot of life. Thanks man. So a lot of things were changing in my life, but I was running, running hard in the, in the music scene, you know, and just like got caught up in a lot of, you know, addiction and, uh, alcoholism and the sex and all that stuff. And, um, basically came home and like hit a bottom, man. You know, I had a couple friends that came home and flagged draped coffins and just gave me that, that 
uh, moment of clarity, you start thinking like, if that's me, what will my daughters remember of me and stuff? So I came right. home, I ended up getting sober and saved back in 2009. And I've been oh, uh, awesome. just celebrated 13 years sober and, oh, that's uh, killer. you know, involved in a Christian recovery group and, uh, you know, more involved in my church and everything now. But, uh, you know, but still wanting to, you know, being a fan of music and creating, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, so that's why I'm doing this podcast and I'm just, you know, now I can be open about things and it's not like, Ooh, this is, uh, you know, taboo to talk about, you know, right. so I'm, I'm glad you shared that, that with me. So then, um, after through it all though, you, uh, you said, what was it? Point of recognition was the next band. Yeah, we were, we did point and we had a couple tours with them. Um, we had some membership changes. Two of our, two of our members left to form as they lay dying. So, okay. um, and then we, uh, and then at that point the band stopped doing, you know, really anything. Um, I connected with, uh, my buddy, Jonathan, who was from the band bomb threat from, uh, Maryland. Um, the, the first, the first show that OLC that I ever played with OLC was in, um, it was in, in Maryland, uh, with, with coming correct and bomb threat. And so at that show, you know, I get to meet Rick and then I also met Jonathan from bomb threat. And then we just were always friends from, from 96 on. And then, you know, I was like, Hey, I would like to do a, you know, an SOD styled, you know, crossover thrash band. Um, and what do, what do you think about that? And then basically he wrote all the music and then he put it on a CD and sent it to California. And then I did the vocals and sent it back. And the next thing we know, we had a, we had a project. And around this time, is this when you moved back to California then or? Yeah. So I, I, had, I moved back. I was in California from like 2001, probably till 08. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, like when did, uh, so was this your final like band before comedy? When did comedy come into the picture for you? I first stepped on stage. I tried an open mic in 2000, 2002 at the La Jolla comedy store. I was, um, I was like, Oh, I would like to try this. And they had a Sunday, Sunday night potluck where you had to show up at, you showed up around five o'clock. They put the list out at six, you sign up on the list and then you check the list at seven to see if you got on. And I showed up there every week for a month and could not find my balls enough to sign up for the open mic. And so it took me a month of showing up every week to finally have the nerve to put my name on the list. And then I went up and bombed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sorry. My ADHD is kicking in a little bit too. I almost forgot something, but um, yeah, you, you know, I mean, I, I saw some of the early comedy, like with, with the, the skits you guys would do with the one life crew uh, uh, recording as well, you know, sure. but uh, um, also I, I, I forgot that you at one point and I, well, didn't really forget because it was actually probably one of my probably my favorite lineup at the time when you were in Ringworm with Blaze. Oh god, yeah, yeah. 
That was, I mean, I remember those shows, which just, it was always such a good time. And you guys would pull off the kiss moves and everything. Oh, that one show was, that you played the fantasy with all kiss gear. On, oh yeah. That, that was, was, and that was, that was the rule. You had to have a kiss shirt on. You had to be able to, you know, throw, throw your guitar and do all the moves from deuce, you know, and, and that's just for all of us just growing up as lifelong kiss fans. But I mean, like that lineup, I mean, that was, you know, James, me, Frank, Blaze and Dora. I mean, that's for for me. It's if, if I if I wanted to, you know, hang my musical hat on anything, I would say that, you know, that that short time that I spent in Ringworm was pro it probably satisfied everything that I've ever needed as far as, you know, being in music and the fact yeah. that they're still going now. And that, you know, they're going, they're constantly touring and making new records. It's, it's, it's awesome. The fact that all of us are still doing something in a, in a creative fashion, this, this, with this much time removed is, is, is just a, you know, it's, it's truly a blessing. And yeah, it's exciting exactly. to watch the new stuff that people are making, you know, like, like Frank, 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 you know, the, like Hatebreed's coming here in July. And so I haven't no. seen him in maybe a decade. And so it's going to be good to, you know, say what's up and, and watch them work. Oh yeah, for sure, man. And like you were saying, you know, for us to have any kind of creativity still after all these years, I guess, you know, our, uh, it, it helps to, you know, maybe have water filtration, uh, systems put in place. So we don't right. get uh, too calcified, <laughs> but is uh, that a pineal gland reference? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, like I said, man, I mean, no disrespect to the current lineup of Ringworm. I mean, I'm, you know, they're always put out brutal music. I, I love it. But just that time frame going to those shows when you guys were playing and doing the Kiss stuff. And I mean, maybe it was because I was still drinking back then, too. But I thought it was just such a great friggin lineup. One of my favorite memories of that band. Well, I was um, I was laughing because I, I before before I was in the. <laughs> Before I was in the band, they they had a show, I think, at the grog shop. And uh, I I just lost my mind and, and picked up somebody and, and slammed them into it, one of the monitors. And then when, when I did that, I fell down into a broken beer bottle. And the glass is still stuck in my leg today. And it still hurts. And every time, every time my leg hurts, I look down at it. And I remember, oh, yeah, I did that at Ringworm. No shit. You still yeah. haven't got it out, huh? Yeah, I said, I, it's still because it never it just healed around it. And I was like, oh, this is fine. <laughs> Some battle shrapnel. You're yeah, right. <laughs> but it's it's like it's like growing up. It's like it's like you listen, you listen to the promise. You're like, well, this is awesome. Then you see Ringworm live in Cleveland. You're like, holy shit. Then you get to be in Ringworm, have the same exact experience, but you're on the other side of the energy. And you're like, well, this is beyond phenomenal. And then to go back around as a fan and watch them progress throughout the decades is just, you know, it's a blessing in itself. And I love, yeah. you know, and all the extra time and, you know, all the extra stuff that, that, that the band puts out along with the music. I mean, it's, they just, they just did it right. Integrity for that matter, still going at it. And same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I'm trying to remember because, like I said, during that time, I was still uh, getting a little, little messed up. But uh, were you were you in the band at that Euclid Tavern show where I got to introduce the band? I did like the New Age Outlaws uh, <laughs> intro. <laughs> Why am I not surprised that there was a it was a wrestling 
<laughs> wrestling tie-in. Yeah, yeah. Frank, uh, Frank gave me the chance, the the first and only time I got to intro the band That's awesome. <laughs> at the Euclid Tavern. But uh, that was when we were living together. So, um, oh, nice. Different time, but uh, but okay. Now I'll jump back to to comedy. So you, you, right. you it took you a month to finally do open mic. Mm-hmm. Um, you 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 get up an open mic. You you said you kind of bombed the first time, but there was something that you know. Uh, talk about that progression. Yeah. So the the progression when you from from my experience you you learn at the at the point of going to open mics it's to figure out how to be funny but then also how to be part of a a community in the same in the same in the same way there's a music scene there's a comedy scene be it fans and also comedians it's its own it's very identical to to what the music scene is the comedy scene is exactly the same and then so you're trying to figure out like what is a comedian what does it take to be, you know, to be considered a comic? You know, what does it take? You know, there are all these little micro head games that artists play with themselves, you know, to try to figure out. And so the first decade for me, as far as standup was, was like, how, to, like, mechanically, how do I do this? You know, um, what, what does it truly take to make someone a quote unquote comedian? And then you realize that you get lost you get lost in what it is to find out truly what's funny. And so that's, you know, I had to, it took me a lot of studying and a lot of bombing and a lot of being bad on purpose to figure out that comedy and music are the exact same thing. In fact, comedy is music. It's timing, it's energy, it's tempo, it's rhythm, you know, it's volume, all of it. And so now, now it's like, once I, once I made that connection, there was like, there was like this one moment where I was like trying to figure it out. And then like, Oh, I figured it out in the same way that I grew up a metal head. I'm metal. This is just who I am. And I metal. And I also make metal music while well, I'm funny. And I also make stand up comedy. So it's like, instead of concentrating on just being funny and what it is to be funny in the moment, people get lost on you know, how do you get to be perceived by the people in your peer group as one of them? And it's a big so, waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, you um, sent me, uh, I asked you to send me like some, a little bit about what you've been up to and everything. Right. Uh, you, you, you're talking about like kind of getting up there and earning like the, the respect or the welcomeness of your peers and stuff. Well, I mean, you've, you've, been on uh quite a few festivals comedy festivals and stuff like that like south by southwest i think you sent me oddball comedy fest um even got been featured on sirius xm radio and yeah vice and stuff like that so i would it sounds like you made it to where you were trying to to get well that's in you know one of the one of the lessons that i learned along the way you know when i was living in la where it's it's what it what is it to truly quote unquote make it is it is it you're making an authentic product that is true to you with no success but it's in the creation of the product that's the ultimate process that you really were going for or is it making something that has 
commercial success and it's the commercial success that validates it. And, you know, a lot of the comics, if, if you if you ask them, they're like, what's making it? And they would say, oh, it's paying your bills with your art. Truly, that's what's making it. You go from not being, you know, not being on, you know, not being homeless and, and hungry to having a play, having a roof over your head and all your bills are taken care of because of your ideas. And so that's that's another step along the way of, you know, quote unquote, the progress of being an artist, I guess. Now, um, but I mean, you've been welcomed into the community, obviously, you've made uh, quite a few friends and connections and stuff oh, yeah. in it. So, um, like, talk a little bit about, um, you know, when when your moment was where you knew, like, okay, I, 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 like you said, I mean, it doesn't have to, you know, success in like the, uh, you know, in a financial or anything like that. But like, when did you feel like you made it, you were accepted into the circle? Um, just being able, being able to walk onto the porch at the comedy store and to know 95% of the people there. And, and they're just so used to seeing you every day that, you know, we're like, oh, this is what we're doing. We're not trying to do this. We're not attempting to do this. Oh, we're here and we are doing this and it's happening. And so you realize that, oh, you're in the mix. I mean, I've opened for everybody. I've worked with everybody. And, you know, it's, again, funny, funny wins. That's truly what this comes down to is, are you funny? And are you a good dude? And can we can we trust you to do a good job if we work with you? And the, yeah, that answer along the way is yeah, or I wouldn't be here. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, like you know, you it's can't fake to... it. Like you can't, you can't just like just like you can't fake being in a in a great band. If you if you didn't if you don't have the chops, you're not going to pull it off. Yeah, and, and uh, um. You know, how did the, the uh, like coming to be able to be featured on Sirius XM and Vice and then even being a contributor to a Howard Stern show? Right. Like, how did those relationships and networking come to be for you? Yeah, well, I, I got an opportunity to uh, be a part of the Killers of Comedy, uh, which then later morphed into the Ronnie's Block Party Tour. And then... Uh, you know, just being a Stern fan from the 90s and listening, you know, not only every day, you know, on my way to work, but then getting satellite and listening to the show twice a day and then getting an opportunity to meet the, the guys who are part of the show and then do shows with guys who are part of the show. And then after that relationship is built, they're like, hey, if you ever want it, here's here's Will's email, you know, send in send in this amount of jokes send in these ideas and, you know, be careful what you wish for. And it's something that, um, you know, if, when I was, when I was not in standup and I was a Stern fan sitting in my car, driving to work, listening to the show, I had the idea I would give anything to be a part of this in any capacity and then, you know, wind the clock forward and I'm sitting and listening to the show in at, at that time in the in a basement in Minneapolis 
uh, with cat shit all over the place because that's where I have to crash in order to do these shows. And then at the same time, now I'm listening to my favorite radio show, but I'm listening to it as a writer and having to come up with ideas um, and just really rack my head around the show for an eight-hour period. And, and it's way different to be a fan in your car, completely divorced from the show, just listening as a fan, to be a fan who's now listening to the show, trying to add to the greatness that already exists. And after doing it for, I think I did it for a week, I said, this is awful. I was like, I understand why Howard has people work for free for a long time, because they need to put in their time to show that they are going to add value to, you know, hands down, one of the greatest radio shows ever. And so I got that opportunity. And after having lived what it is to live that life, fuck no, I don't care what you pay me. I wouldn't do it. Uh, it's, I mean, I've heard like horror stories about like being in the writer's room and being, you know, like going back to wrestling references, you know, I've heard like, you know, they, all the writers they hired to write the storylines for WWE and just like, you know, how much your shit never makes it and you're treated like shit and you're like, oh, right. you know, and then a lot just, of that, and it, it's funny. It was one of the things that I heard. Um, I was in a, uh, are you a fan? Are you a, are you a kill Tony fan? Uh, no, I don't think I've heard oh, of it. Uh, so Tony. Tony Henchcliffe and uh, Brian Redband do a show where they have people come on and do one minute of stand up every week. It's on YouTube. They do it live out of Austin on Mondays. It is absolutely hilarious. Um, and so if you get a chance, go watch Kill Tony or listen to the podcast. It's phenomenal. But it was I, we were in a conversation at the store and he was talking about uh, the writer's room when they would write for the roasts for like the comedy central roasts. And he oh, said wow. that, that not only so you have like, you know, back, back in the day, Jezelnik would write, you know, Tony would write, they would all be these great standups who are also in these writers, writers rooms. He goes, but there are these dudes who are in Hollywood who you're never going to meet. You're never going to see, and you don't know who they are, but they're in that writing room. And where every standup is putting 20 jokes out there, these dudes put in one joke that is so devastating and so brutal that it's a it's a true gift in itself. And so it's it's funny when you talk about the writer's room that, you know, everyone's just saying, OK, yes. And how do we make this funnier? Yeah. And I've seen some of those roasts, man. And I'm like, I, I, I mean, like. I had some dark humor from, you know, my time in the military, you know, it's like some of the stuff we experience, we kind of get numbed to, to things. And the only way to like, I guess, keep our, some, some of our sanity is just through just dark humor, you know? Well, you, you think about but, that, you know, like I always, you know, like going, I always, did you, did you like, I was a crappy student in school cause I thought it was a waste of time. Yeah. And so if, you know, they would always give you that packet of busy work. And then in the packet of busy worth in the packet of busy work would be a maze. Yeah. Like, yeah. can you go from the beginning of the maze to the end of the maze? And I'm like, that's fine. But it's easier if you start at the end and work backwards. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. I, no, I mean, so, it's, uh... so I apply, I applied that to everything, my own death. Well, where are you going to end up? 
in front of Jesus, you better get your faith locked in. Yeah. You know, so every process that, that I look at, I always reverse engineer it. Oh, that's that, you know, I, that's a good way. To, yeah, no, that's uh, I, man, I appreciate that. I got to put that into, to use myself. I've been having a lot of just personal stuff I've been dealing with tomorrow. I got to go in for a, a nuclear test, stress test and stuff. And it's just like, you know, walking this recovery and trying to stay in my faith and everything, having two daughters that now are grown young women. And it's just like, right. you know, my, my negotiation with God is just like, come on, at least let me stick around to walk them down the aisle and stuff like that, you know, and hand them off on their wedding day. But, uh, you know, what am I doing? What can I do to, to help make that happen? Well, maybe stop eating that bullshit you were, you've been eating, you know, oh, yeah. that you get into, maybe make some of these changes in your life that people have been saying, Hey, maybe it's time to, you know, fully commit to things. Well, um, right. And, you know, I would say that the one, you know, um, if you, if, if you can make the conscious choice and it is advice I would give to anybody, you know, in, in my life as a philosophy major and just trying to figure out reality as it is that the words the words that we choose to use define our reality. And so it's the words that we use in our self-talk. It's the words that we use um, in conversations with others or words that we use in our art. And so what I would say is to um, have the idea of having a word diet in the same way that you're not bringing in alcohol and drugs into your system you're bringing in healthy foods, you're no longer, word number one to take out would be the word try. And yeah. the second word to take like Yoda, out- Like Yoda, do or do not. There is well, no try. that's it, because I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to be in a band. I'm in a band. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm funny. I'm not trying to be metal. I'm metal. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to get into heaven. I have faith. I'm actively working in my faith for you and in your situation, you are, you are currently alive. And so the, the decisions that you make with your diet and exercise and ordering, you know, ordering the things that are the most important as far as your health, which would be your sleep is number one, your exercise is number two, and then your food and water would be number three. And if you have those out of whack or out of order, then, you know, just like if you had a math problem and you work the steps out of order, you didn't do, yeah. you know, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction, you did subtraction first, you're going to get an answer, but you're not going to get the answer. And so yeah. one of those things, it's, and it's so simple because, you know, if you, if you think about truly order, right? that what what's the what's the word that rides along with try i don't know <laughs> so if i say open close ask answer knock open try fail oh yeah okay. and so by using by using the word try you are you are really using the word try to usher in the word fail instead of you know, using the idea that what you are doing is happening. You're a being who is doing and it is happening. There's no trying. 
Yeah, man, that's dude. That's some deep wisdom right there, man. It's not. It's just. It's really what this comes down to is literally simplicity. It's inputs and outputs. You know, reality is just a computer interface that we're experiencing something greater than ourselves. Yeah, my sponsor's been working with me on my uh, the same thing: the power of my tongue, the power of the words that I that I put out there, and that you know the negative self talk that I constantly deal with. So this is uh definitely good, good, uh, tools to carry with me. And I'm thinking with, um, this philosophy, um, you know, mindset of yours and just the simplicity and things being kind of broken down kind of is a, it's a segue for me to talk about something else that you had in your, your list of, uh, things to talk about, um, medicinal mushrooms and psychedelics. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It's, it's, I mean, Simplicity seems to, you know, because our minds, and I know mine especially, can complicate so much, can overthink so much, that ADHD. But, you know, I know friends that have had the experience that helped rewrite their brains. Mm -hmm. You um, want to share a little bit about your connection with with all that? Yeah, I mean, I did. um, I did an experiment. I've done it. I've done this um, now twice where I, I microdosed psilocybin for 110 days at a stretch. And, you know, sometimes you do too much and sometimes you don't do enough. Um, and it's no different than if you took a six dry gram heroic dose that what you're experiencing is reality in its fullness in the same way that you're experiencing reality in its fullness when you're sober, the same way you're experiencing reality in its fullness when you are hammered out of your mind, that what is happening is happening beyond your judgment of it. And so that no matter if you are in any state to be in a full state of acceptance, and then from that state of acceptance, there is no room for doubt or there's no room for hesitation. There's no room for trying. You know, there's no room for wanting. The, just the very idea of wanting itself is a rejection of what the universe is currently bringing us, which is everything all at once. And so we just have these very simple filters that we can use, you know, in the same, you know, in, it's, it's input output. And so you can choose to bring ideas and storylines into your life and internalize them. You can choose to ignore them. You know, it's, it's really up to your, mm-hmm. your, your choice and how you do this. And so whether you're on a DMT trip or you're doing mushrooms or you're just eating, you know, medicinal mushrooms because it helps your gut biome as far as your health is concerned, you know, or you're drinking coffee or you're getting your 90 ounces of water a day you're getting your 15,000 steps, you know, all of these things are just what's happening. And so the, the, I could take this all down to the very, very simplicity. And if people could take it down to that very, very level of simplicity, then they would have that profound experience of how easy this is to manage it. That every chance that we have is just an opportunity to grow and improve. It goes, it, it, you know, it takes us back to kiss. Keep right. it simple, stupid. Keep it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> very, very much so. 
Yeah, and I, and I imagine you know it, it's in in the in the recovery world, you know, our, my 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 sobriety as far as you know you know alcohol or whatever, I can be all in or all out. You know, I can I can go from you know I I can't drink anymore because my liver hurts to I don't need it. So yeah, you know I uh. You know, I mean, I've, I've actually had somebody recently and that's because, you know, and that's been kind of like the battle too, because being in recovery, you know, you got a lot of the old school legalists in, in recovery. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I haven't drank in 13 years. Alcohol, I, you know, is one of, is something I just can't have. And it's, but it's but a symptom for some deeper stuff that I need to work on. Like I, you know, came home from my last deployment with some wounds with PTSD you know, some, uh, just negative stuff going on in my head. And it took a lot. I've done hypnotherapy. I've done like float tanks. I've done oh, you know, all kinds awesome. of stuff to try and, you know, work, work this out to get to a place where I'm comfortable doing this right now. Before I was like, you know, a hermit, man, I wasn't working with anybody, but I've sure. had somebody in jujitsu in my jujitsu community. That's been like, dude, you should look into like psychedelic therapy. You know, I yeah, think it would definitely I would, help I would because... say I would I would say that if you have the I've I've done a lot of reading on folks who are having profound changes and assistance with their PTSD using ketamine therapy, um, you know, using ayahuasca, um, you know, because the, the thing is, it's like once you once you have this glimpse of the DMT realm or you have the, an encounter with spirit in, with ayahuasca, or you've had an encounter with spirit using, you know, psychedelic mushrooms, or you've had an encounter of faith at the absolute collapse of your reality. It's like you're in a 100% point of accepting and understanding. And so it, at that point, you know, for, for, for those of you guys who, who, who served and thank you and for who brought home wounds seen and unseen, that that for for you to there was there was a time before your PTSD where you didn't know it existed and now that you've seen what you've seen you can't unsee it and so now what I would say psychedelics would give you an experience to see something that's different than what you experience now and then it might allow you to recompartmentalize the PTSD to put it in a place that it'll that it would use it to serve you instead of limit you and, and yeah, and, and I'm, you know, I've, I've researched, I've read up on, you know, ayahuasca and, and stuff like that. I got a Navy SEAL buddy that had a great uh, psychedelic experience that helped him with yeah. a lot of things. It's just, for me, it's kind of just been like, it would almost have to be just like between me and, and, and God, you know, almost yeah. though, because it's like, Sometimes, even though they mean well, the people in, that we walk in recovery with are just like, oh, nothing. We can't do any mind-altering substance, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, look, right. I ain't looking to just go trip balls and stare right. at the towels dripping in my bathroom like I would back in the day. This is something I need to do to heal, to have a better quality of life and be, you know. Sure. But, it's, but, but you, know, it's, you know, as far as recovery goes and being in that world where, you know, you, you mentioned that people can be very legalistic in it. Yeah. You know, where, where someone someone could say, oh, I'm sober because, you know, I I found the the pit. I found the pee under my mattress that makes me drink. 
or or they say, um, you know what? It's this book. It's not what's in this, but it's this book. It's this physical book. Internalize this book and you'll stop drinking. Because for them, that's what they did. And that's what yeah. works for them. Or for some people, no, it's this single passage. It's this one step that's better than the others. You know, every, everybody has their own trip to it. And then when they find their success in it, then, you know, that's that's their success for them, which might not be your success for you as applied because everybody's starting from a different foundational standpoint and in a different part of their recovery. And it's very, very unique. But as far as, as far as, you know, taking the, that leap of faith for your faith, as Kierkegaard would say, or taping, taking the leap of faith to, you know, experience psychedelics to give yourself the opportunity to see something different than what you're seeing now, because then your self-talk is going to change and then your decisions yeah. from your self-talk is going to change. And it's no different than making the choice to say, I'm going to step on stage today instead. This isn't going to be the week where I show up and I don't sign up. Yeah, exactly. This isn't going to be the opportunity to get, to get on a plane and join a band. Like, know? I mean, I, I'm, I'm grateful for a lot of, you know, what the 12 steps and recovery has done you know, on this journey of mine, I, you know, I haven't drank in thir 13 years and, and, and I have no desire to drink. So I've been free of that. But as they say in the program, alcohol is but a symptom of, you know, our deeper character defects and problems and stuff like that. And some of my stuff, you know, like I said, I've done hypnotherapy. I've done, it, it's taken digging into the roots, like getting, getting deep and, and pulling mm -hmm. the roots out. And I feel like this could be another because I'm still like I'm sober, but I still like struggle, you know, when I get out around certain people that fear and anxiety takes over. All these false realities are playing in my head. I'm no good. I'm this. I'm, you know, and and, right. and that's why I've been trying to rewrite what I say. But it sounds like to really get in there for that neuroplasticity or whatever and rewrite that that trail. It's like walking through the snow. You walk the same path, you make you make a path, you know. Well, right. I've been walking the the negative path in my brain for years, and now I got to like walk a new path. And mm -hmm. it sounds like it's a tool to help me accomplish that. Yeah, one of my one of the, my the best baseball coach I ever had. Uh, he always said, "Repetition of errors is the perfection of mistakes." Yeah, yeah. So my, uh, if you have, and, and then, and then to, and then to tie that along, you know, you said you've had some success with hypnosis. Well, all, all communication is hypnosis. Yeah. And so if you're, if you are the one talking to you 99% of the time, especially with an, a very overactive ADHD brain, then, then if you get on the ground floor of your self-talk, then you can really reach a point of simplicity. And then from, from there, when it comes to make a choice of, you know, whether or not you're going to choose to have a substance or not, or whether or not you're going to choose to eat something bad or not, you're, you're, you know, acknowledging that you are making that choice, that you're not a victim of it. Yeah. I, I have a tendency for self-sabotage too. Like when I start making, uh, accomplishing things and making goals and like, you know, uh, I was training jujitsu. I was losing a lot of weight. I was about to get advanced to the next belt. And then the, then I was like, then what, you know, 
then I freaked out and I started eating crap and I went backwards and now I'm getting ready to go get a friggin' nuclear stress test done on my heart again, you know? Okay. Because it's just like I, I, that, that fear of like going to the next level because there's that underlying unworthiness I felt in my, my head for, I don't deserve the good things, you know? And that's why I feel like it sounds like that's almost like the precision precision tool to get in there and rewrite that and flip that, you know, that master slave switch on the old uh, hard drive, you know? Well, well, consider, consider that, that the conscious experience we're having now is a, is a gift that God is allowing us to have. And so if, if, if we're here as willing recipients of God's gift, then if you have your arms full of your anxiety, how can you hold anything else to be given to you? And so you have to say, well, I'm going to give this anxiety up to God, which will free up my hands to be able to receive the gifts that are coming down. But as long as I choose to hold the anxiety, what I'm really saying is I, my faith is not 100 percent. Yeah. Wow. Man, because I, like, look at it, look at it as like a glass. At some point, you can only pour so much into it. Yeah. And yeah, so if, but, the re, if the reality of your experience is resistance, if the reality of your experience is anxiety or whatever it is, then if you choose to fill your glass up with anxiety, then nothing else can go in it. Even your own anxiety will overflow. Oh, and it does. <laughs> yeah. And that's right it's one bit. of those things where it's like, you know, simplicity, um, like the, the godfather of artificial intelligence is uh, this this Catholic theologian named Ramon Lull from the 1400s. And he, you know, he has this thing called new geometry where he can take math using using language. He can describe faith using mathematics. And so if you can take your faith and describe your faith as mathematics, you can take your reality and describe it within the same mathematics. You can go inside of the spirit realm and the math is the same. You can go inside of the DMT and the ayahuasca world. The math is the same. This conversation that you and I are having, the math is the same. And if you work this maze backwards and you already begin with the end in mind, you know, which is one of the reasons I, I, I was able to have so much success in the pandemic is that I began with the end in mind. This will end. When this ends, things will become normal. And so the way to do that was to never allow it to start. So while everyone else was freaking out and wearing masks and running around getting tests and arguing about vaccines, I began with the end in mind. This is going to end and life is going to be normal because it never started. And my life never changed along the way. Wow. Yeah. And I'm glad you, you mentioned, uh, AI cause, uh, well, that will take us to the, you know, the next topic I wanted to, to touch on with you, but, um, you know, so you made it sound like it, you know, there, there, there's, there's some beauty in it as well. I, I, I recently started this book. It's called AI Trump China and the weaponization of the robotics with 5g. Okay. Um, it's by uh, Cyrus Parsa, uh, who's a part of the AI organization. I, I'm 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 still pretty, you know, in the beginning of it, but 
it talks a lot about the evils that AI uh, is like with social media and the division that's been caused, how, you know, um, you know, that what's it, those uh, bot farms and stuff like that. And how like sure. our, our thoughts and influence you mentioned earlier about, you know, you're, you're right now you're using your wife's phone because you right. haven't had a phone with a camera. Cause it's not good for the, for the brain. Right. Does that fall along the same lines with like, these these smartphones, I, I believe, are causing more harm than 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 good. Does that well, kind of where are you I mean, at with this whole thing? I mean, ultimately, it's a it's a tool, and so you can use your phone for creative endeavors to improve yourself. You can use it as a step tracker. You can use it to film movies. You can use it, you know, to to do an interview such as this. Or you can use it to, I, I don't know, shoot some video that you want to get a reaction of. And then you spend all day getting the dopamine release off the likes that you get off your social media. Where, you know, what what is that? It's just another dopamine fix. Yeah. And so I was, you know, I just went, I, I realized that, you know, that the, that the very, very nature of social media was the point of, of division and I watch people flame and attack each other online. I don't, I don't use the internet in that way. It is a tool. So I like things and I love things and I share things that I like, but if someone is being mad online, I I'm not having that experience. So it's, it's incongruent to my reality. And so because I don't engage in negative content and I'm not out there flaming people at an individual level, the algorithm has no use for me. And so I'm free to use the internet as I like. And with that, the trade is I don't have any reach. You know, if you look at my Twitter, my Instagram, my Facebook, it's very, very throttled. Um, and it's fine. You know, I, I, I think that in, in the end on your deathbed, are you going to be like, Oh, I wish I could have shit posted one more time. <laughs> You know, you're not, you're just like, you know, like beginning, beginning with the end in mind, beginning with what you're going to be doing on your deathbed. You know, what, what are you going, what, 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 what would be that singular re regret? And then what have you done to actively remove that regret? Yeah, man. Wow. This is uh, definitely. Uh, but, but yeah. think about AI, think about AI, think about AI for, Okay, you have, you know, as a person of faith, right, you understand that God is omnipotent, omnipresent. He exists outside of reality, exists outside of time, that heaven makes decisions far before we're aware of them. Because the fallen angels have access to the same time, they also know when heaven makes a decision. And so they, they know that if heaven may, has made a decision one way or another in your life, they can use that decision to then attack you because they have an understanding outside of time different than what we do here in this 3D sphere, this 3D plane. And so if you look at what God's capabilities are and you look at what artificial intelligence is capabilities are, the question is, will AI turn into just truly intelligence? And will that intelligence be equal to God's intelligence? 
or is it just a 3D physical product that's mimicking and mirroring what what the reality is in that realm? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's something being put in place by people that are trying to play God, you know. Sure. With, so with in, us in, in this so in, reality. In in this in this post, but those are the rabbit this, holes that I let myself go down too. By it's being, fine, but you know, look at look at the media. reality. Look at the reality that we're in here in the United States, where you know we have a constitution that's based on the natural laws given to us by God at our founding, at our creation. And so what you have now is a post-constitutional, post-God America, where now there's a vacuum where God used to be. There's a vacuum where truth used to be. And there's a vacuum where freedom used to be. And those vacuums are being filled by actors who do not have, you know, a good end in mind for the majority of us. Yeah, exactly. See, all right. So then we are on, you know, the same page when it comes to that, because that's what I'm feel like I'm seeing. And like, you know, I, with my uh, men's recovery uh, group, my home group, that's uh Christian recovery. I'm always just saying, man, pray for discernment because so many of us are like lacking that, you know, that oh, we're right. in a spiritual battle every day and the stuff that we're seeing on TV and on the screens and that we're being told is, is a show. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, it, but it's always been, and that's, yeah. the, that's the, the, you know, I, I always, you know, what's the, what's that Frank Zappa line where he's like, when, when this is all over, they're just going to pull the backdrop down and you're just going to see the brick wall and you're going to know that this has been a gimmick from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. The whole world's a stage, you know, and, and truly it is truly you're just in a black box existing in the reality of what is, do you choose to have around you? So but I, as far I just as saw that, 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 uh, I saw a picture of uh, Ben Stiller visiting uh, Zelensky in, in Ukraine. And I was just like, oh. there it is right there. Speaking you know? of soundstage. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, yeah. and isn't that. Wag the dog. Right. Right. And so, you know, it's, you know, for, for, for me, you know, because, because I did begin with the end in mind, I didn't, I didn't go on the pandemic journey. So, so I never had an issue with masks. I didn't have an issue with vaccines. Like, think about someone, the the person, the pre-pandemic, okay? You have the my body, my choice, typical, um, you know, classic Western liberal, right? Yeah. Who now has adopted, you know, a true level of what they're determining to be progressivism, which is science. And so now they have this opportunity to... They want to have power over you with masks, power over you with vaccines, power over you with kneeling, power over you with your speech. Now you have to support the war. Now, now we're, you know, it's like if, if these people have switched in two years, they've put on 40 different hats. Yeah, yeah. And 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 for the and for me, since I sat it, I sat it out. I was like, "Oh wow, I get it." There, I'm not surprised that Ben Stiller's walking on the Zelensky soundstage and shaking his hand, because because yeah. he was on that soundstage the whole entire way, selling other things. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like get your popcorn and sit back and just watch. 
or you know? or become an active part of the process. You know, like my buddy Alex. I don't know if you're watching Alex Stein or not, but I know Alex all the way back from the mid 2000s in Dallas, and now to see him, you know, up in politicians' faces and covering for Alex Jones and making you know super viral content, and it's neat. You know, I can I can sit back and make my podcast and engage in reality that way. He's doing it on the ground. You're doing it here with this show. You know, everyone everyone is doing their their piece of this. Yeah, and that's kind of what I do on on here. In fact, the the current episode that's on Spotify of my podcast, I'm talking with a uh, Dr. Alfonso Monzo about nanotechnology and how our DNA is a software program. And, yeah. um, you know, the letter, the Hebrew letters of the alphabet are written on our DNA. So we are basically, you know, spoken to life by God, you know, and, and he talks a lot about, you know, how that what's been going on the past couple of years is, uh, being used to alter us from God's creation. Well, you know, I mean, if you, if you are, I mean, if you were discussing, you know, adding the, the, uh, the RNA, you know, into the DNA that the thing is that, that the folks who added the MRNA, when they have kids, if, if they're allowed to, then the kids that they're going to make will already have the MRNA in their DNA. Yeah. You know, yeah. one, one, one thing that I, that I'm not sure is how legalistic God is as far as uh, you better come back with the equipment I gave you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, you know that's the thing that's been, kind of scare me because I have family and, you know, some friends of faith that thought they were doing the right thing, you know, thought they were, uh, I'm, you know, looking out for grandma and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, man, am I going to, you know, am I going to see on the other side? I'm grateful that my dad passed before all this came to play. So, you know, but, uh, <laughs> it's been, uh, yeah. So the, the, I, I do use this podcast as a way to try and get information out there for other people to kind of like think, and I don't have all the answers, you know, I'm learning from you right now. So more, well, I mean, I, I would that. say that, you know, that I would say that, you know, just look at, if, if you look at the actors, you know, look at, look at the people who pushed Western liberal hegemony, you know, through the entirety of our lives you know, from the time we were kids in the seventies till now that there is just one game being played and that game is to embrace progress. And as long as you can embrace progress, then as long as you never let go of progress, they will never lose power. And so what they did, um, this, and this, this is kind of super in the weeds. Um, but, we have three three realms of time okay we have linear time or or progressive time we have messianic time which is the time of our creation the time of christ the time of christ's return and then the end of all things right and then you have what they call cyclical time which is like the time that we exist in our reality with the day and the night and the way the universe moves and and that system and so what we have now is Western liberal hegemony, which has to hold on to power by creating new levels of progress. And at the same time, the other part of the world has embraced traditional and messianic time 
and they're playing smash mouth football in the Ukraine and they're beating the Ukrainians. They're beating the Western media. They're beating the West. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's just the fact of the matter where, not and, and, you, and if you, and if you look ahead, then you say that, you know, the only reason Putin had could invade Ukraine is because this is the last time in his population that he has people old enough to go to war. And China is 20 years away from being half of their population. And the reason wow. the United States has unchecked immigration is because we need first generation immigrant people on the ground, A, who work hard, and B, who make new people. Yeah, so, I mean, now we're touching on the, the other topic that I had, you know, the geopolitics. You've been following this for a while. Um, yeah. You, thinking with the end in mind, okay. like you do with your life, where, where, where do you have uh, kind of like a guide, like a farm, farmer's almanac that you're, that, uh, you know, feel that we're headed as a country? I would, I would say that if you look at, if you look at the world map and you see that on one side, the, us, the Atlanticists, we have North and South America, we have our allies in Europe and we have our allies in Australia. And then if you look at Russia, China and Africa and Europe, that's all one landmass. And so landmass against landmass with with global warming you know looming in our in our future that the future of the world lies in eurasia that the eurasian continent has more resources and will be around longer than north and south america so if you're looking at geopolitics from hundreds and hundreds of years out then then that's the power wow but so um, and then 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 the question is, you know, what they they only believe that China has the ability to attack Taiwan. That they don't they don't have the resources, um, and the bodies to do a war beyond that. And so I you know I as far as you know if I if I was in charge of the United States and making sure that we remained on top, then I would I would run a completely isolationist, non-interventionist America, I would bring every single troop home and turn this into an absolute bastion of defense and take all of our, you know, all of our manufacturing and bring it in-house and then use that to starve the rest of the population, which is not very Christian to say, but, you know, <laughs> do you want to win? Yeah, well... <laughs> I mean, it, it, I think that's where, you know, the last guy in the office was trying to, you know, take us. Yeah. I mean, America first. But uh, well, I mean, but, you know, it, it's funny because it's 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 for for you who have served and for you and I who have been engaged in, you know, conservative politics for as long as we have. Right. Like when you say America first. It, it never sounded bad. 
You know, yeah. if somebody, if, now if they've weaponized from, it like conspiracy theorists. Well, but look, if like I can guarantee, if you if you read the if you if you read the fourth and fifth generation warfare tactics of the Chinese, they don't have our best interests in mind. No, there it's China first. If you're in the yeah. UK, it's UK first. If you're in Russia, it's Russia first. And so, but but here in the United States with the division, if you say America first, well, then you get lumped in the divisive categories by the people whose job it is to get rid of you. Well, like you said about bringing everybody back and, and going in defense mode, every, I mean, because of what we have with our, we, what we currently have with our, our second amendment, um, you know, coming in and invading was not an option, you know, to take down right. the United States, you know, but um, basically injecting cancer into our country and letting us kill, eat each other up from within, you know, that's, that's, well, that was, you know, both, both the Russians and the Chinese believed that they could take, they could take down the West without firing a shot. And if and you look at how like much and how much we've been, you know, tearing, tearing, each side of this country apart, you'd have to, you know, in, 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 in one way you have to, you have to admit that they're succeeding. Yeah. And what's, what blows my mind too, it can get me into so many other conspiratorial uh, rabbit holes is the patience and time. This didn't just happen overnight. You know, right. this has been going on generations, infiltrating our school system infiltrating, you know, the education, educate, you know, infiltrating medical. Um, this has been going on a long time. And I'm like, I don't know. Usually when I play a game, I want to feel the, I want to feel the the glory of winning. I want to be around for that dopamine fix to sure. say, yeah, we won. I was a part of this. So the, but, but these but, generations here of people that are playing this game, infiltrating us from within have been dying off. Unless, of course, there's that reptilian thing, <laughs> but that's a whole nother story. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 you know, we, there, if, if, if indeed we create an artificial intelligence or artificial intelligence creates itself, then it will seek to find itself other places in the universe. And then once it does, we'll bring here whatever was there. So yeah. it's 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 easy to look at it from a geopolitics. It's this landmass versus this landmass. It's totalitarianism versus democracy. It's communism versus capitalism. Uh, it's Marxism versus you know not being critical of all things. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating look at how many people are actively working to take apart this country and with no, with no opportunity to make it better, to build it into something greater, only to destroy it, which is, it's just, which is wild, you know, because if you go back to the America first, you know, I made my bed today, my house is clean. And I didn't clean my house because I hate my neighbor. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know? And, and, and that's, and that's the, 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 that sickness that is 
in the you know what 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 truly sucks is that if you if you read the 4G and 5G warfare specialists from the United States and the West, they say that the only way for us to to keep on pace with a totalitarian state is we have to become a totalitarian state. And and that's sucks. And that's what we're experiencing now. Yeah. You know, what what I what I can't figure out because you know the the old two movies one screen take of of reality where where you look at it and you say well obviously these people who are working day and night to take down the United States of America are doing it openly in front of everybody with provable money trails that they're all working together to do this and you would think that if there were truly good guys who were shepherding and stewarding our culture and our country to a better place, then these people would be brought to justice and things would get better. And so that's on one hand. Or the other hand is they're doing this in the open because that's what needs to get done. That's what will be allowed to get done. And it doesn't matter how much you love your country. Someone who hates your country can destroy it more than you can love it. Yeah, I mean, everything's got to be brought in the light for people to actually finally see it. But uh, it's just blowing my mind that, you know, how many people are still like, what are you talking about? You know, Um, and talk about the world being a stage full of actors. I'm kind of on the fence anymore with, you know, I was I I was a supporter of of Trump and and his policies. I mean, the VA has been was the best I've ever seen it under him, you know, so I was like physically seeing somebody follow through and do some of the things that they said they were going to do. But now I'm looking at once again with, I don't know, man, I just, I'm kind of nervous. I think maybe he's just part of the act and part of the distraction while the rug gets pulled out from all of us. I think, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can take him as uh, he gave a voice. He gave a voice to the voiceless American worker to the low and middle class that had no representation who said, why not us first? And why not us now? And then was he perfect? No. Did he make a ton of policy mistakes? Yes. Do do I think he's the funniest president ever to live without a doubt, you know? (laughs) Um, And you know, it's like, and it's, you know, will we get, will we get another shot at somebody like that again? You know, like looking, looking forward to the, to the, like, like imagine you, you want to talk, you want to talk, here's a nightmare scenario, right? From, from 2008 to 2015, you can go on YouTube and watch politicians from both sides talk about how the elections aren't fairly run and the machines can't be trusted. Yeah. Okay. And then Trump wins in 2016. And as soon as he wins, they run out and they say the election's rigged. The machines were rigged. We want a recount. We're going to protest these these, uh, slate of electors. And then as soon as 2020 happens, everything flips. You can't say that it didn't happen. Yeah. You, 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 You can't say that there was, you know, any, any, bad thing going on at any capacity right and then now you have the january 26th commission the sham commission that is 
talking past the sale. And what's the point of that? The point of that is that if Trump wins in 2024, I can guarantee you that Kamala Harris, as president of the Senate, will use an alternate slate of electors to have him not be the president. It's being set up right now. Oh, yeah. Everything they say you can't do is something that they plan to do next. Oh, and we saw that during his presidency, too. It was so then no. So then so then like you have to know that 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 is that is more than likely going to be an outcome. Right. So that then if you then go to the midterms, if the Republicans have a red wave in both the House and the Senate where it's looking like it's going to be right, then if you are playing this out in the whatever is the funniest outcome would be the most probable. That's how Elon Musk looks at reality. Then we're talking about the Republicans gain power. And if you if you want a barometer of whether or not the country is going to be on the right track, if they nominate Trump as Speaker of the House, then it will be a wrestling show like you've never seen. Oh, yeah. Attitude and era if, back. <laughs> and if but but if, but if they get if they get both the House and the Senate and they just put a rank and file politician in there. And then they will choose to do nothing. Yeah. And then when you when you see that they got power back and then didn't do anything to make it better, then what will be exposed if there is a uniparty that controls this country and what their goal is, is to take. The United States of America, they've been paid to hand us over as a vassal state to China. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've already seen with some of the uh, current things that have been getting pushed through that, um, you know, the Republican Party is not, you know, the party that, or, it, or at least a majority, a good chunk of it still isn't for the people. Either. No, not at all. It's and it's it's a it's the oligarch corporate interest first. You know, it's like if if you look at it, you have like the corporations own the lobbyists who write the who write the policy, who sell it to the politicians that they own, who then lie to us to get us to accept it. You know, well, problem. So, I mean, I mean, look at look at look at how what you know was interesting. So you have the. You know, you have you have the tragedy in Uvalde, which then all of a sudden they say we have to have gun control now. We have to have universal background checks. We have to get rid of, you know, and they watch how they change the definition of weapons. You know, we have to get rid of semi-automatic weapon like weapons of war. And then and then Biden comes out and says, yeah, in nine millimeters. And then all of a sudden that stopped. And why did that stop? Because they got immediate polling back that says, hey, dickwad, half of Democrats own guns, too. Yeah. You know, and so all of a sudden that all changed. And what's coming out of this are the red flag laws. And if you look at the red flag laws, what is what is fundamental throughout the red flag laws is mental health. Yep. If you have a negative mental health, then you can be deemed a danger and then you cannot be able to defend yourself. And now what's being set up on one hand is 
the mental health of, of, you know, you have to have mental health to have a gun. What's being set up with January 6th is anybody who believes that there was fuckery in 2020 is mentally ill. There was a woman who came on that said 56 million Americans are the equivalent to American ISIS. Wow. And so if, if you, if you then, you then demonize Trump as crazy. If you can demonize Trump as crazy, you can demonize all his supporters as the same crazy and then use the red flag laws to disarm people. And that's how simple that piece of that is. Yeah, that's the back that's the backdoor uh, gun grab right there. And, right. you know, me being a veteran with diagnosed PTSD, you know, somebody that served his country, loves his country and now diagnosed with a mental has a mental illness diagnosis. You know, I'm sure, I'm on that list. <laughs> right, and and again, if if you were if you were Russia and China, and you needed and you needed this landmass and all of its resources and infrastructure, how could you take this over without firing a shot? You would do that by disarming those with the most training and the most wherewithal and the most forward thinking to know that this is happening. Which is why the conversation about something very very simple is shut down across all platforms. Oh yeah. I mean, well, look how good, uh, you know, having the guns taken away did, uh, Australia during, uh, this whole like pandemic, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, mean, every, you know, and every, that they got was, the camps built for us already. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's that, that'll, they, they were able to do that because they disarmed them. And that's, and that's a good version of the story. You know, the bad version of the story is Stalin disarmed his, his, his enemies and killed 40 million. Mao disarmed his enemies and killed 60 million. You know, they, they, did dis, they just disarmed the Armenians and they slaughtered them. They disarmed the Jews and they slaughtered them. And so that one thing always leads to the next. It's just about power and control. Yep. Yeah. You know, thinking with the end in mind. Um <laughs> Right. So, and the thing is that, so then if we begin with the end in mind, which is American greatness, that is a faith-based, you know, landmass that has the ability to take over and control the world, then the best thing that we can do is turn the United States of America into an AI-based, faith-based kingdom. Yeah. I mean, all I know is, I mean, I know one thing they definitely want is because we don't think clearly when we're in a state of fear and being in a state of fear definitely affects our immune systems too. So it makes us sick and weak. Um, But uh, you know, it's been, it's been definitely trying, especially when you think when you're able to see things that other people can't seem to see in front of their face and being a father, like I said, I will, you know, my, I want to walk my daughters down the aisle someday, but, that that fear plays in my head that that opportunity might not get to be with the way everything's headed, you know. Right. Well, I mean, then I then I would say that you know, since since tomorrow since tomorrow is promised to no one, that that if you sat down and you visualized how it would be to walk your daughters down that aisle one day, then to take that same energy into your interaction with them today. Yeah. And then it's you're having a great relationship with your kids now today. 
And that if you do that every day, then that one day will show up where you'll walk them down instead of being so fearful of it that it might not happen, that you're going to miss all of these opportunities along the way to be that guy. Yeah. Wow, John, man, this is great, dude. This is like a, a, a therapy session I needed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I, like I'm like I, I I'm I'm always happy to to share these. I, I wish I wish um, I, I wish I had a better prognostication outlook for our country and our our human civilization. And I, I think that we're going to go through a very very dark time. But then on the backside of that dark time. You know, I'm still on the sunrise side of the mountain, so I still I still see a lot of optimism, but we're just going to have to weather, you know, weather a dark time. And it's no different than weathering an illness and being coming out of the backside of it, weathering a pandemic, coming out of the backside of it, economic downturn. Or your yeah. sports team sucks. You know, you just <laughs> have to go through it, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And uh, the other bonus is you know we we are people of faith and we know how that book ends so right you know we there's a it's win-win for us no matter what I, the I, outcome I, is. I, I i i did a show last night i do i do a thing now where i record all my shows and i just i release them kind of like like you know the grateful dead kind of releases everything they've ever done yeah i do that with my stand-up now and so what i'll do is i'll get a show and I'll just do a bunch of new shit. And then if I tell a joke and it works, I never have to tell it again because it's already released. You know, it's like writing a song and doing it first take in the studio. I don't have to do this again. And so I, I ended my show last night with, uh, I went to dinner with a priest, which is true. And, and I would say that if you ever have an opportunity to do it, you should do it. And the one, the one question that I asked and I even kind of leaned in and whispered. I was like, hey, between you and me, when they say the right hand of the father, do they mean his right hand or is that my right hand? <laughs> nice. And he looked at me and he looked at me and he turned his head and he goes, his right hand, you moron. <laughs> <laughs> John, it's been great catching up with you, man. Um, I'm telling you, and it, look, as as the world uh, either improves or gets worse, I'll always be here to to be a part of your show as much as you'll allow me to be here. Yeah, dude, I definitely want would like to have you back with a few people that uh, are very much along the same same lines as us. In fact, I want to send you a couple comedic things that uh, me and uh, uh, my buddy Flo White have been doing okay. uh, to check out. Um, but uh, before I get ready and wrap up with you and let, let you go, I want to ask you a few of the questions I ask uh, guests that I have on normally. Sure. Um, and I know this ought to be a good one. What do you, uh, what class do you feel should be mandatory before graduating high school? Oh man. Um... <sighs> I would have to say civics. Because you need to know how this society truly works. Because if you know how this society truly works, then you know how 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 you're being worked in a wrestling sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, or you 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 can understand how the powers that be 
are maintaining that power using the process as as it's been as it's been defined. You know, I, I would say that it also is a great look. Uh, you know, our constitutional history, and that you know the Constitution is indeed a living document that is the greatest living document ever created. And the the question that we're experiencing right now is did the founding fathers in the creation of the constitution envision a power as strong as artificial intelligence? Did they acknowledge that a technology like that would exist? And then if the constitution is strong enough to beat AI, then it will. And if AI is smart enough to outsmart the constitution, then there's no saving us. Yeah. And then um, three people who've inspired you or you can credit for making the person you are today. Oh, my parents would be number one and two. Um, Hands down, they're they're my heroes. They've been always supportive of of everything that I've done, good and bad. Um, And uh, I would say Johnny Carson would be number three. Uh, just because, you know, he was he's the reason one of the reasons that I do stand up, you know, being a kid and growing up in the 70s and 80s, you know, just it, watching him bomb night after night always made me really laugh. And just that I when I when, when I do stand up, it's something that I always take to heart because, you know, when when his act wasn't going well, he was talking to Ed. He was talking to Freddie. He's talking to Doc. He's in the audience. He's you know, he's working it. And so that's, you know, even when his writers would shit the bed, he could still pull off a dope monologue. And if his writers had it that night and they were crushing, then he didn't have to. And so I I always, for for me doing stand-up live, it's the same way. I'm always going to be friends with the front row. I'm always going to talk to the back of the room and basically turn whatever show I'm doing into something no one's ever seen before with a bunch of new shit, crowd work, whatever it is, just to keep the energy going. Then the energy that I'm creating in stand-up is no different than the energy that I experience as a fan of hardcore on both sides, creating it and being a fan of it. That's that's one thing that I think that has helped me from the beginning is that I know that energy. I know how to create that energy. And so now to take that energy into stand-up, it just makes sense. Yeah. Um, I haven't asked this one in a while, but, um, you know, we've, we've made many references to it. So I have to ask favorite wrestler. Oh man. I would say as, as a kid, I, I can't really, I would say Larry Zabisco because that dude was such a dick back in the day. He always (laughs) made me laugh. Um, I had, I got to meet who who is Axe and Smash, the Road Warriors? Uh Demolition. Demolition, yeah, yeah. So wait. Who were the Road Warriors? Hawk and Animal? Hawk and Animal. Yeah. All right. Who who had who had the Mohawk and then the guy had the shaved head down the middle? Who was that? Hawk had it shaved down the middle and Animal had the Mohawk. Okay, so so I had I had a time where I was working uh, security at the cow palace for a WWF event. And they wouldn't allow me in the building as security because I was as big as the wrestlers. And so they had me outside and working the gate where the wrestlers were coming in either they drove themselves or they had a cab come in. And so, uh, accents, is that, yeah, right. Hawk and animal. 
yeah. they 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 come into the gate and they're getting checked in. I looked in and I was like, I'm I'm marking out and I'm like, hey, I'm like, oh maybe I can walk these dudes into the arena, you know? And they're like, we're just gonna fucking drive in. And I just stuck my head in and I go, hey, I have a question. Uh, is Vince McMahon's voice getting crazy because he's taking roids? And they laughed and they go, no, it's because he sucks dick. And then they drove away <laughs> laughing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And I would say that I would say between, bet I just, I always love heel wrestlers. Um, yeah. I would give a shout out to the Iron Sheik just because I got to do a couple live events with him. Um, I've always, I always thought he was cool as shit. He's the only wrestler that asked me for cocaine within 30 seconds of meeting me. That was fun. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but I would say, you know what? All right. To be, to be fair, favorite wrestler. And that's because I know him because he's a Cleveland born and bred hero would be uh mad dog, Matt cross. Yes. Nice. I've been repping his uh, hats on some of the interviews I've been doing. His nice. wrestling is forever cold line. And I, and I, I, I got to see him. I, we did a podcast together. Um, and you know, he, you know, he, he was at the show. He was at that show at Peabody's when, uh, when earth prices stopped playing because, because the bass player hit somebody in the head with his bass. Oh, really? <laughs> Were you at that show? No, I don't think I was at that one. Oh, it was hilarious. So basically, basically Matt, Matt Cross's buddy was the guy that Bulldog hit in the head with his base. Oh, okay. And, and, and they were only doing that because the crowd was heckling them as One Life Crew fans. <laughs> Which looking back on it, it's all wrestling. It's all coming together as one. Gimmick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then... uh. Any, any message that you have for our military currently serving? Thank you. Uh, America first. Keep your six. Uh, is that right? That's right. Yeah. 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 China Watch sucks. Yeah. And uh, Nancy Pelosi's a cunt. Have I said enough? It's <laughs> <laughs> perfect, man. John, it's awesome catching up with you, brother. Um, People want to, you know, I mean, I know you don't do much with the social media, I guess, as much, but uh, you. Yeah, I mean, I'm on, I'm on stuff. Twitter. I'm on Twitter at John Toll. No one, no one sees my stuff. I'm on Instagram at Real John Toll. No one sees that either. And then I'm on Facebook at Pit. I'm on Pit Boss. I'm on. I have a Pit Boss page on Facebook and my own page on Facebook. If they want to add me over there, please do. And, uh, and, and we'll, we'll somehow beat this algorithm and, and get these, get this very simple things that we're talking about into the mainstream, which hopefully in the end, you know, improves everyone's lives equally. Exactly. Awesome, man. It was great catching up with you, brother. And we'll definitely have you back. Um, but before I let you go this time, you mind doing me a favor? Yeah. You know, cut a promo ID for the show. Just introduce yourself. You're listening to today's boondoggle. All right. What's up, nerds? You're listening to today's boondoggle. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence, why the United States is better than everyone, why we gave away our energy independence, and why we have a uniparty who hates you more than you could ever hate yourself. But what you're going to learn today on today's boondoggle is that that choice to hate yourself is indeed just a choice. And you're not going to try to get better. You are getting better. 
because that's the only choice you have. Awesome, John. Thank you so much, that? brother. Yeah, that's <laughs> good, man. I appreciate it. Um, awesome. All right, brother. It was good catching up, and we will be in touch. Yeah, man. Yeah, link, link me up whenever this uh, drops, and we'll, we'll 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 get everybody watching it. tuning into this week's today's boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news and information, and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for supporting, sharing, and tuning into today's boondoggle.